0: To help you navigate the Westminster Confession of Faith and to see you understand what you believe and why you believe it. Welcome to This We Confess. Westminster Confession of Faith, Chapter 8, of Christ the Mediator, Paragraph 2 The Son of God, the second person in the Trinity, being very and eternal God, of one substance and equal with the Father, did, when the fullness of time was come, take upon him man's nature, with all the essential properties and common infirmities thereof, yet without sin being conceived by the power of the Holy Ghost in the womb of the Virgin Mary, of her substance, so that two whole, perfect and distinct natures, the Godhead and the manhood, were inseparably joined together in one person, without conversion, composition or confusion. Which person is very God and very man, yet one Christ, the only mediator between God and man? I'm not terribly sure where you're listening to this podcast today. Perhaps you're in the car on the way to work. Maybe as some do are lying in bed listening to it and you drift off to sleep at the sound of my dulcet tones. Maybe you're out walking the dog or maybe you're lying on the sofa. But wherever you are today, I would urge you to be ready for something utterly extraordinary. Chapter 8 of the Westminster Confession speaks of Christ the Mediator. And in our last episode, we talked of how Christ was the prophet, the priest, and the king of God's people. Today, we speak of something that we could spend a lifetime meditating upon and still not grasp. We speak of what is called the hypostatic union, the union between God and man. God came down to earth and took on flesh. Now, maybe so far so good you think I've heard all of this stuff before, We sing Christmas carols which teach of this truth. I've yet to hear anything extraordinary. Well, my friends, I hope today, for a moment or two, you will pause and think and reflect on what you're about to hear, because what you hear today is utterly extraordinary. This extraordinary paragraph begins by stating that Jesus, who is the Son of God, the second person in the Trinity, Being very and eternal God, of one substance and equal with the Father, did, when the fullness of time was come, take upon him man's nature. We've already touched on some of these things before in this podcast, and it states very clearly here that our reformed perspective on Jesus is not that he was some good man. But this was the Son of God, the second person in the Trinity who had stepped into human history, taking on flesh. Paragraph 2 begins by stating the divine nature of Christ, that he wasn't created, he wasn't an invention to be sent 2,000 years ago. Who is Jesus? Jesus is fully God. Jesus is, as the paragraph states, the Son of God, the second person in the Trinity. He is very and eternal God, and of one substance, and equal with the Father. We see this in John's Gospel. In John 1 and verse 1, the famous phrase is given, that in the beginning was the Word, that is Jesus, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And this in and of itself is a very important truth to grasp. Jesus was God. There has never been a point in history where Jesus did not exist. There's never been a point in eternity where Jesus did not exist. Often when we speak of Christ's birthday coming at Christmas, I kind of know what we're talking about. But it isn't biblically true. Jesus always has been, and he always will be. And at no point has Jesus not been God. It wasn't that Jesus was born as the Son of God and worked his way up and graduated to become God. Jesus always has been of one substance with the Father. Here we speak of the begottenness of Jesus, that he is not distinct from the Father or a little bit like the Father. He is of the same substance. He is begotten, not created. And this is the famous word that we often speak about when Christmas comes, Jesus is homoousios, not homoiousios. This word and one little letter within the word was what brought the Council of Nicaea together all those years ago. Jesus is homoousios, the same as the Father, of the same substance, begotten, not created. And more than that, in these opening words, the Westminster Divines make it clear that Jesus is equal with the Father. And here we speak of the wonderful mystery of the Trinity. The Father is not the boss of the Son, and the Son is not the boss of the Holy Spirit. And equally, the Holy Spirit does not outrank Father or Son. Jesus is equal with the Father in power and wisdom and might and glory and majesty. If this paragraph ended just with that one line, it is worthy of a lifetime's meditation on the glory and mystery and majesty of our triune God. And if today you would like to consider more about the Holy Trinity, then I would refer you back to previous episodes. Chapter 2 of the Westminster Confession speaks of God and the Holy Trinity. But today we move on from the glorious statement about Christ's divinity. And this extraordinary paragraph continues with Extraordinary Truth. The Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, who was very and eternal God of one substance and equal with the Father, when the fullness of time was come, took upon him man's nature. The Christian faith, the reformed faith, states clearly, we do not believe in a God who has been distant from his creation throughout all eternity. We read here that when the fullness of time was come, When God's plan had come to fruition, Christ, the second person of the Trinity, took on flesh. John, who very boldly states that in the beginning was Jesus, and Jesus was with God and was God, states later on in John 1 and verse 14 that this same word, this same Jesus, became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace grace. And truth, Indeed, later in Galatians 4 and verse 4, Paul puts it this way, When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of woman and born under the law. I trust you see how extraordinary this is. God himself steps into something which he has created. He takes on flesh. He is born of woman and he is born under the law. This is a magnificent statement of truth. And Paul tells us in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 6 that Jesus, who was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross." The Son of God took on flesh, humbled himself for a season, was born under the law, kept that law perfectly, and ultimately died our death on the cross at Calvary. John in First John 5 and 20 sums this up. We know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true, and we are in him who is true. In his Son, Jesus Christ, he is the true God and eternal life. These opening words of paragraph 2 of chapter 8 tell us that Jesus was God, but when the fullness of time was come, Jesus took on flesh. Extraordinary. As we continue, the Westminster Divines tell us that Jesus took on flesh, and he took it on not as some sort of hybrid Jesus was not more God than he was man. He took on flesh with all the essential properties and common infirmities thereof, yet without sin. Whenever I consider these words, I consider the fact that there was a time that our Saviour had to learn how to walk. There was a time that our Saviour nursed at his mother's breast. There was a time that our Saviour learnt how to speak. There was a time that when our Savior walked too far in a certain day, his feet were sore. There was a time, of course, as we've read in the scriptures, that our Savior wept at the funerals of his friends. There was a time where our Savior was hungry. There was a time that our Savior needed to drink some water to quench his thirst. There was a time that our Savior knew what it was to be tired and weary and needed to sleep. Hopefully, you understand the point I'm trying to make. Jesus took on flesh with all the essential properties and common infirmities thereof. Just as you stay up too late and you feel it the next day, so too our Saviour knew what it was to be fully human. Paul tells us this in Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 14. He says, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Here in these verses Paul speaks of how Christ took on our common infirmities and essential properties. He is shared in our flesh and blood, and the things that you experience and know of, Well, so too does Jesus. Paul continues in the next verse by saying, "'Therefore Jesus was made like his brothers in every respect "'so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest "'in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. "'Jesus was like us in every way, and our high priest is faithful and true. "'He knows what it is to be human in every single respect.'" So imagine this same Jesus standing for you. He is not alien and distant to humanity. He understands fully what humanity is all about. And yet, as he shares our essential properties and common infirmities, something from Christ is absent. He is without sin. Paul states this in Hebrews 4 and verse 15. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Friends, here is a glorious statement of truth, that Christ knows what it is to be human. He has literally walked in our shoes. He knows our properties, our infirmities, our weaknesses. And he has been tempted in every respect. But our great high priest, Jesus Christ, fully God, fully man, is without sin. There was not one moment in Christ's life where he yielded to temptation and fell into sin. You see, Jesus was not born by natural generation. A husband and a wife did not come together to produce a child. The next line of the confession here tells us that Jesus was conceived by the power of the Holy Ghost in the womb of the Virgin Mary of her substance. We read in Luke's Gospel in chapter 27 that Christ would be born to a virgin who was betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David and the virgin's name was Mary. In verse 31 of Luke 1, We're told that, Behold, Mary, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And in verse 35, the angel spoke to Mary and said, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. When the fullness of time had come, in Galatians 4 and verse 4, God sent forth his Son, born of woman and born under the law. Christ was born without sin. Christ was born not of husband and wife, but of virgin and Holy Spirit. An extraordinary birth for an extraordinary saviour. And as this paragraph comes to a close, we see the result of this whole wonderful story. The Westminster Divines write, So that two whole perfect and distinct natures the Godhead and the manhood were inseparably joined together in one person without conversion, composition, or confusion. Here we see how God's work is perfect always. And what has happened here in Christ was not that God became a wee bit more human or human became a wee bit more divine. The divine was not converted into the human, nor was the human converted into the divine. And just as there was no conversion, neither was there any composition. Jesus was not turned into some brand new creature. A wee bit God, a wee bit man, but something altogether different. He was fully God and fully man, without composition. Nor was there any confusion in any of this. Jesus was God and man, without sin. There was no confusion between his human nature or his divine nature whatsoever. And this is supported by the Holy Scriptures. Paul says in Romans 9 and 5, speaking to Jesus' humanity, To the Jews belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. Paul is clear here that we can trace Christ's human lineage. But later, as he writes in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 9, For in Jesus the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. So just as we can trace Christ's Jewish lineage, so too in Christ the whole fullness of God dwells bodily. God and man, without conversion, composition or confusion. And perhaps it is Paul who sums up this best when he writes in First Timothy 3 and verse 16, Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. My friends, as you listen to this today, here is your Saviour Jesus, fully God, fully man, and without sin. Here, my friends, is the hypostatic union, the union between God and man. And today, even as we listen to this podcast, flesh and blood, the Lord Jesus Christ is at the right hand of God the Father in glory, interceding for his own. Once again, and perhaps I have overused this word today, but this is simply extraordinary. This Jesus, our prophet, priest and king, Fully God, fully man and without sin is, as this paragraph states to finish, the only mediator between God and man. Who else could there be to mediate the benefits of God's covenant? Who else could there be other than the God-man, Jesus Christ, who knows what it is to be human in every way yet without sin and his sacrifice is perfect and never to be repeated? There can't be any other mediator other than Christ because he is the perfect mediator between God and man. Jesus, as Paul says in Romans 1 and verse 3, was descended from David according to the flesh. He was fully man, but was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, fully God God and fully man, and there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. And so friends, as we close today, I think this is exceptionally good and wonderful news. And especially today, for those of you who are listening and are experiencing life in all of its difficulties, Jesus knows your weakness. Jesus knows what it is to be human And Jesus today is for you. Ambrose of Milan once said, and I believe this is a wonderful quote, which sums up the hypostatic union. Jesus grieved for me, who had no cause of grief for himself. And laying aside the delights of the eternal Godhead, he experiences the affliction of my weakness. I thank God today for this quote, for the hypostatic union, and for Jesus Christ, my only Saviour, Mediator, and Lord. As always today, some questions for you to consider. Question 1. How would you respond biblically to someone who believes that only the Father is God? Question 2. What did the Council of Nicaea mean when they said that Jesus was homoousios? Question three. What does Jesus not have in common with us? And what does he understand fully? Question four. Why is Jesus the perfect high priest for sinful humanity? Question five. What do the Westminster Divines mean when they say that in Christ there is no conversion, composition or confusion? And question 6. In your own words, sum up what is meant by the hypostatic union. That's all for today. As always, I'm Scott Woodburn and until next time, this we confess.